And welcome back into part two of our conversation with the fabulous and uh, enthralling Jerry Lynn. We'll uh, get back to Jerry here in just a minute. But uh, Mick, as usual, want to take care of, uh, of some business. Want to thank uh, people at 7th Avenue Pizza. I uh, want to thank Matt and the crew. It's absolutely, as you can tell, I don't show the waist down because it's body by pizza. And believe me, if you want the best pizza, best frozen pizza on the market, fresh ingredients, 7thAvenuePizza.com. Uh, I've got it at Hy-Vee. I've got it at Cub. I know people have got it at Holiday, pretty much all over the Twin Cities metro. Or if you want to ship to you, again, I'm telling you, it's great. It says, uh, as the kids would say, it's the uh, thebomb.com, as uh, they would say, 7thAvenuePizza.com. Also, SodastickCO.com for AWA Unleashed Swag. You can see the skull hat that I've got. Uh, football season is uh, in full effect. My Minnesota Timber Chickens, the uh, NBA season soon to get underway. And uh, they will also have a part in the uh, upcoming uh, big event that we've got coming up in uh, just a, a few weeks here, Mick. AWA reunion number two, people who... That would be the not, second one. That, pardon me? That would be the second one. That would be two, two... Yeah, got it. We did this a few years ago. It was a tremendous success. We're going to bring it back again and... Uh, Again, if you are interested in the hows and whys, admission costs, so on and so forth, the entire roster of people that are going to be there, either go to the Slick Mick Old School Wrestling page or the AWA Unleashed Fans page. That's where we're going to keep you updated. But in the meantime, it is October 29th. That is a Saturday at American, uh, American Boulevard edition or location of the Embassy Suites in Bloomington. And it's going to be from noon to four. If you're an AWA fan, we're bringing some people in that you watched on television back in the AWA days that you might not even remember. Hey, wait a second. Yeah, I, I remember that guy. Well, he, you know what? That guy is going to be there. Uh, Sign out autographs and posing for pictures with you and so on and so forth. So it's going to be a great, great event. Definitely. Really, yeah, really looking forward to it. Uh, we got a lot of fun things that are still, I think, we're, you know, we're still working on a few little fun things on the side with it. So uh, that being said, last week, I thought we we ended at a very interesting spot with Jerry because it just kind of evolved into this conversation about the business and how it's changed and how the allure and how maybe people want more information and maybe it loses its luster because of the uh, the openness of the uh, the business now. But that being said, I think we're going to kind of, we're going to circle back to uh, what the premise of the podcast is. And we're going to, you know, we're going to veer off into a couple of other things as well. But uh, Mick, I'm going to let you go ahead and uh, introduce your friend. Uh, well, I want to call him my friend too, but he's more your friend. He's not as much my friend yet. Yeah, and he'll deny the last part, believe me. But at any rate, there he is, living the life of Riley, you know, that, that multi-dimensional <laughs> down there, uh, our, our good friend, Jerry Lynn. Jerry, we're going to jump right into the AWA days because uh, it was from the PWA to the AWA. And I got, you know, a lot of questions about that. Uh, first of all, how did you make the transition who was your actual contact that lined you up with the AWA? And was it Vern that you were in contact with or Greg? Or what was the story there? I think it was 
through Tom. Tom already had the gig, and I think he's the one who said, hey, you want to do this? But uh, actually, I think I was doing both at the same time as working for Eddie. And also, Eddie was the hookup. He got me doing uh, squash matches for WWF, too. So this was all in the same period. Talk about that, uh, specifically the Rochester AWA tapings. And for an old-school AWA guy, and actually I was with them in 87, so the wheels were kind of starting to come off the bus even as early as 1987. When you were there in the Rochester TV tapings, it certainly was a far cry from the old St. Paul Civic Center, 18,000 seats, uh, Jerry Blackwell, Mad Dog Bashan, Bruiser Brody, Road Warriors, Hulk Hogan. How did you feel about being in the AWA at that point? Were you just happy to be with a major organization, or did you also sense that this is kind of a stopgap and better things are ahead? Well, that's how you broke in back then. You'd go do squash matches and make the stars look good. And um, that's what I hate about the business nowadays is people are offended by the term squash match or jobber. It's like that was just part of the business. Mm -hmm. That's how you broke in. It wasn't an insult. But uh, uh, my parents would never take us to wrestling. And I'll, ne I'll never forget after I left home, I finally said at the it was uh, St. Paul Civic Center. And the main event was Dr. David Schultz and Hulk Hogan. Oh, boy. And I said, let's go at the last minute. And all they were selling was standing room only tickets. So we were on in the aisle on the concrete steps way up near the top. But it was just unbelievable atmosphere. And and I just, uh, that was before I broke in the business. But even after I was going through Eddie or Brad's camp and stuff, and I, even if I went to a, a concert or something, I'd just go stand on the floor and look around. I, I'd look around and think, what would it be like to wrestle in front of a packed house? So it was it was exciting to go, you know, even just to go do squash matches in, in front of a big crowd in a big arena. Back then, you know, I'm thinking of the AWA roster. And, you know, you still, Brad was still wrestling. Uh, Ken Patera was still around. DJ Peterson, um, uh, the trooper. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. My 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 first squash was against uh, Colonel De Beers. There you go, easy Ed. <laughs> easy Ed. Uh, but you know, I, I look at those days. I, I guess through kind of a different lens because, and, and I get what you're saying absolutely about doing the squash matches and you know, and the envisioning the big arena. Did it feel like having gone to that? Dr. D. David Schultz, Hulk Hogan extravaganza in the St. Paul Civic Center. Did, did it feel like this is the same AWA? What were you feeling at that time? Or or was it just another day at the office? It That was it. It was another, you know, I understood back then uh, the TV show was actually the commercial for the big house show when it came out. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as when pay-per-views were invented, then the business changed. Now your TV show became an advertisement for the pay-per-view. Absolutely. So, and that's the way it was then. You know, it was just, I, I guess I looked at it more like business. Okay. So, I mean, I wasn't good at marketing myself back then. Well, it, it's a whole different world now with marketing yourself and everyone, you know, they, they're, they're their own brand. 
that they yeah. have to market and network and you got all these different avenues of doing it. Back then it was more like, all right, let's go to the next show and make some more money. Sure. And it w was was Greg your your go-to guy in the AWA or, or was Vern or, or who was the or was it anybody? I mean, just anybody in particular. <sighs> I can't remember who did the payouts back then. OK, I, th that sorry, I've been hitting the head a lot. So there's oh, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of things right. I don't remember. That's all right. And and uh, Wally was long gone, so he's he. I didn't have nothing to do with your payoff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't get any fights and suspensions. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh god, I, I, I love it. Um, I gotta I, I gotta ask you a little uh, another question too, as it as it relates to the to the AWA. Oh, here's I'll give you another. I'm reading. I'm reading that you were the last challenger for Larry Zabisco's heavyweight championship before he went to WCW. Is that a fact? I maybe I wrestled Larry a couple times, and it here's how good Larry was. I think I can. I think it was the second time because he the first time he finished me off with a pile driver. The second time he just gave me a simple vertical suplex. And for some reason, it knocked the wind out of me. I don't know what happened, but he must have heard me make a funny noise or something. Because as soon as we hit, he covered me and he told the ref, he goes, this is it. Instead of giving me the pile driver later on. So he knew I had, you know, gotten the wind knocked out of me or something happened. So did he but, make the same, the same kind of, or did you make the same kind of noise that Billy Blaze made? When the hater pulled off his toupee, <laughs> I just, just curious, was it was it that or or not on that level? I think it was. I made that noise when Jeff Warner grabbed me by the hair and threw me out the ring so hard I did a flip and bumped on the concrete. I had no control exiting the ring. <laughs> and those were the good old days. But, yeah. Uh, yep. so, oh, here's another one. Uh, I wrestled Coquina Maximus oh, before yes. he became Yokozuna. And uh, I was his third match that night. So the first guy came back with a bloody nose. The second guy came back with a bloody nose and cracked ribs. And I'm just thinking, what am I in for? And remember Gary Darusha? Darusha? Yeah. Well, his uh, ex-wife now but at the time they were engaged i believe she was sitting with my girlfriend at the time and i didn't know until after the tapings were done to get in the car and go to go home i guess she was up in the stands when she saw who my opponent was started crying <laughs> oh and when i saw him walking i'm th when they when i saw i had to wrestle him i'm thinking what sense does this make i'm the smallest guy here and he's the biggest guy but I, I understood. It was just to make him look even more bigger, you know. But uh, Was he a light touch with you? Oh. Well, his finish was I'd be, I was laid out in the ring, and he'd run from the corner and jump up and splash me. Uh -huh. And when he did that, it felt – I felt my whole spine go and, like, <laughs> unzip. <laughs> it was like – and I'm laying there, and when he covered, when he, and he stayed on me to cover for the pin, and he was so heavy. I it was the longest three count of my career. I couldn't breathe. I'm thinking, oh, get on! Oh my god! And then he gets up, and and Tom Burton, I think, was the referee, and he comes over and he goes, 
roll over. He wants to do it again. I said, no, four guys. I said, and Sheik Adnan was in the ring too. He was his manager at the time. And I told him, I said, get four guys to carry me out of here because there was no way I was going to get up and walk out, you know? And I, that's how much I protected the business. If I'd have done that, uh, what's, you know, what good would it have been? Absolutely. There's no way I should have got up and walked out, which I had to lay there a few minutes to make sure everything was intact anyway. You know, it's uh, it's interesting that you say that about protecting the business. You know, my mind kind of fast forwards to, uh, you know, back in the day when a pile driver or, you know, a suplex would, would finish you off. Now, you know, guys are kicking out, at, you know, 15 false finishes after seven pile drivers. And I- you know why? And I understand that the wrestling business, like I said, it's changing and evolving every year. And the moves are getting more dangerous and spectacular every year, just like the X Games. Everything changes and gets more dangerous and more spectacular. But you just got to fit those moves in where they belong and where it's believable. And like you said, uh, sell it. Have it mean something. But now everyone's working harder for a false finish than they are the finish of the match. They want to get that big shot kick out. Well, your main concern should be how are the people reacting on the finish? Yes. Yeah. That should be your yeah. re- biggest reaction to the match, not some falsy. The biggest reaction should be the finish. There you go. If they're yeah. not blowing the roof off of that baby face or booing that heel out the building on the finish, you failed your job that night. And I've seen tons of matches where they got them blowing the roof off the place. But because they had this 10-minute, eight-false-finish Japanese go-home, <laughs> by the time they get to the finish, the people are halfway back down and they're flat. Yeah, I can say the yeah we get we get we get tired. I mean, we we want to be we want to be up there, but after a while, you you don't have that energy anymore as a fan. It's well, like that, I, I've already understand. It. And and I've been on so many shows, indie shows, any show where it's a four and a half five hour extravaganza. Yeah. Well, hard enough to sit in a cushy movie theater seat for two and a half hours. Yes. Right. And they're sitting on steel chairs and bleachers, and we want them jumping up and down and yelling and screaming. They get tired. Mm-hmm. I would be tired. Even when we were in Jacksonville during the pandemic, I'd be in the crowd cheering. And after one match of yelling and screaming, I'm like, wow, this is a lot of work. Yeah. Sure. Yes, absolutely. But, <laughs> but that's what you, they don't think about is, you know, you're and you're only going to get them up there once before you start losing them. Yeah. But no one thinks about that. The, yeah, that's, yeah, your, that, that's, yeah. Your, your main job, that how I are they? Yeah. But yeah. I, I, I want to ask you about um, your short stint in the WWF after uh, AWA. Like, how did that come about? And I mean, were you disappointed in the way that it went? I mean, did it kind of, was it what you expected then? My, <laughs> my career. I have been plagued with bad timing. <laughs> and when I got the chance finally after 12 and a half years to go get signed by the WWF, right after I got there is when they bought WCW. So now you have twice as many people as you need, and a lot of them were already built up superstars. So, oh, look at this. Look at this. What? Look at that guy there. Oh, that was – what year was that? That was just a tryout. I oh, think. my God. What were you, like 15? That was when, okay, I had been going to Japan a lot, 
and I was getting harassed going through customs all the time, our customs and Japan's customs. Because back then, if you were a man with long hair, you had to be a drug smuggler or of something. Course. So I got angry and cut all my hair off, never had a problem going through customs. But then I felt bad for giving into the system, so I grew my hair back. Plus, you know, you had to have a look. When I cut all my hair off, everyone, you know, I, someone said, you look like a school teacher or an insurance salesman. And I said, don't worry, I'm not trying to sell you a term life policy. <laughs> were, you, were you really 204? At the, no. At the <laughs> I've never hit 200 pounds in my entire career. No kidding. Mm -mm. Wow. I think I, I hit birth. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. Look at that kid, man. Uh, wow. The heaviest that... I ever weighed was 198. Incredible. Incredible. Wow. But so, so, so that was, so you were talking about the, you know, oh. the, the, the timing. Oh, I'm sorry. So yeah, I always go off on these tangents. I'm sorry. Oh, that's, we love but, it. But uh, yeah. So, you know, and it, it was a disappointing run anyway, because, uh, my first TV, I won the belt from Travis yeah. Holly. And then five weeks later, I think I dropped it to Jeff Hardy. And then after that, I was doing them weekend dark or jacked or metal shows. And then after that, I was in dark matches with guys getting tryouts. And I got hurt in one of those six months in and I needed knee surgery. And then three, the doctor said I'd be out six months. And three months after my knee surgery, Johnny Ace calls and says, you ready to come back? I said, no, the doctor said six months. And a week later, I got my walking papers, which I kind of knew, you know, like I said, right after I got there is when they bought WCW. So when I got hurt, I knew I was very expendable. Okay, so so at that point, you know you're expendable. But I, I would, you know, look back to what happened. You know, where was the, the decision made after you won the championship your first night and then all of a sudden like you said it was a downward spiral i i don't get what the motivation was there i don't you get know, it business is weird all it takes is like i said it's timing it's the right person seeing you at the right time to either like you or not like you it's just you know there's a lot to it it's a tough grind so okay. and that was that was wwf but i want to talk about another character uh, of yours, in particular, a uh, a WCW character, and then okay, of course Kowalski. Aha! <laughs> uh -huh, you know where I'm going with this eventually. But let, yeah. let's uh, let's get the uh, the photograph up on the screen if we can, Chris. Of uh, all right, there you are. Yep. There, there's there's Mr. JL. Be before we talk about the stand story. And I, I could never understand what the JL stood for. I'm no, confused. no, I don't get that. I, I don't I, understand it. Yeah, Jason no. Liger. There it is. There it is. <laughs> yes. Actually, yes. actually, after one of my matches, Bobby Heenan said, "You know what JL stands for, don't you?" And they say, "What?" He goes, "Just lost." <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bobby. Oh. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. All right. Explanation, please, for the for the uh, Mr. JL character and not. Jerry Lynn. Well, Sean and I had been going to Japan a lot for that Lucha style company. And so a lot of saw a lot of cool mask gimmicks and stuff. And then that's about when Brad, it was about seven and a half years in Brad asked me to help at his camp. And I said to Brad, I said, what do I got to do to get a break? I said, it's been seven and a half years. He says, well, the business has changed now. He said, it's all about TV. 
and ratings and making sure people don't change that channel. So you have to come up with something visual. And that's when the light bulb went off. I thought the Power Rangers are super over on TV right now. I said I could come up with a gimmick that's sort of like the Power Rangers and sort of alien-like. And I'd been working at a screen printing shop, and I got to be good friends with one of the guys in the art department. And I told him what I was looking for and paid him, and he helped me come up with the design. And so I had it all made, and Brad took some video of me rolling around in it and sent it to WCW, and they said that's exactly what they've been looking for. Because I thought, at the time, no one in the States has been doing any mask gimmick. Sure. So started with them, but like the first time I was wearing the outfit, like there's probably an hour and a half before going live. They said, what do you want to be called? And I'm throwing out names like the phantasm or the cyber Knight, or, you know, I'm throwing out these names and they go, well, we don't want to just slap a name on you without researching any copyright infringements. So, and Evan Sullivan, and he even apologized years later and I don't blame him, but he said, ah, what the hell? Call him Mr. JL. And that's, I just thought in my head, this is the beginning of the end. <laughs> but uh, so I'd run around and then I, had, I was started on a lightning deal and I got hurt and I was gone for eight or nine weeks. When I came back, they'd already brought in a dozen luchadors. So now a mask meant nothing anymore. But they gave me a year deal. Timing again. Yep, you know? timing again. And when you think about it, because I've, I've had injuries, other people have had injuries. And I, I tell the younger guys when they get hurt, I go, listen, I know what you're thinking. Why now? I said, there is never a good time for an injury in this business. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Well, I, I want to move on to maybe the next phase that this might be my favorite part of your career. And that was your ECW run. I, I thought your matches with RVD I will put those, and I told Mick before we started recording, I will put your matches with RVD up against any series of matches that I've ever seen of anybody. Like, those were always highlights of, of ECW shows. And then the Roy Wilkins Auditorium, where you beat Just Incredible for the ECW title. One of the loudest pops that I've ever been a part of uh, as a fan. Like, that... And of course, I mean, Paul Heyman, the creative genius behind that. What were those years like for you? Did you feel like that was the right environment for you? Like it really gave you a a place to to showcase? Because, yeah, like, like I, I got to be completely honest, and this is not like stroking the ego. Anytime you and it, it could have been you and RVD <laughs> or you and Justin Credible on a match or on a, a card, that would have sold it. That was it for me. The rest of the card, that was, you know, that was just icing on the cake. Well, ECW is where it really opened my eyes to where that's when I realized the business is continuing to change. And if you want to survive, you have to be able to change. With because in WCW, my buddy and I, we get together at two o'clock in the morning on some obscure channel. And we watched WCW, and I'd swear up and down, I said, that comp that is one company I will never work for because these guys are getting handed frying pans and microwave ovens over the rail from the fans, and they're clocking each other in the head with it. And so when I – I think I had a tryout with WWF with Taka, and that's when Paulie realized I wasn't under contract with WCW anymore. So Chris Candido called up, and he said uh, – 
Polly wants to know if you want to come in for a couple shots. And I thought, all right. I told Chris, I said, all right, here's how much I want. And I said, and one more thing. He said, what's that? I go, I don't want some idiot hit me in the head with a frying pan. <laughs> no, no, no. We got our wrestlers. We got... But it didn't take me long to realize I was going to have to get hit with that kendo stick. I was going to have to go to the tables. I was going to have to have Rob kick a chunk of steel through my skull. So it made me realize, you know, that's when I really woke up and said, the business is always going to change and evolve. It's not going to stay the way it was. But I had fun there. And there was a lot more freedom there. And at first, I would add, I'd come up with ideas. I always, you know, I always wanted to be creative and and come up with stuff that people hadn't seen before or different ways of putting someone through a table or whatever. And uh, at first I'd ask permission. I'd keep getting shot down. Finally, Justin Credible and I, I think we had a two out of three falls in the arena in Philly. And I told Justin beforehand, I said, we're not asking permission to do anything. We're going to go out there and do what we do tonight. <clears throat> and the first time we busted out the Frankensteiner off the top through the table to the floor and the place came unglued. But after that match, I didn't get yelled at. So I realized, all right, um, we can go out there and do what we do and entertain the fans. So that's that's when everything changed for me. What was your take on Paul Heyman specifically? I mean, Paul and I, you know, go back to the AWA days. And I remember he would always kind of complain to me that the AWA was not listening to his ideas. He would come back from a production meeting and, you know, say, uh, Vernon Gregg shot that down. We should be doing this with Tommy Rich and Adonis and so on and so forth. Personally, I, I mean, I can't say enough good things about Paul. There's a great shot, by the way. Love this of you and RVD. Talk a little bit about your relationship with Paul Heyman. Um, back then, it was just all business. Okay. I did, you know, and, and the, the one thing that, Paul was great at was he was great at hiding people's weaknesses and and working towards their strengths. So, and he's had you know a great creative mind. He he was coming up with you know great ideas for you know the the booking and everything like that. And and he was what's the word? What am I trying to say? He was up to date with what the younger generation was digging, you know, or not digging. But uh. And, you know, near the end when the paychecks were not there half the time and stuff, I was I was pretty angry because it was like it was like playing a slot machine. You were slowly getting farther and farther behind. Okay. And I was very angry at the end because we're all showing up, killing ourselves, you know. And I understand his Mm -hmm. position at the time. It was like when WCW and WWF would come and start talent rating us. He had to, he was forced to sign people to decent downside guarantees, but the money wasn't there. Gotcha. And I get it. He was stuck between a rock and a hard place. Even years later, I apologized to Polly. You know, I told him I buried you in interviews and stuff, but I was angry. Mm-hmm. And he said, I understand. Mm-hmm. And I just told him, I said, in all reality, I wish I had more time to work with you. Well, so, that means, you weren't the only one who was angry back, at the, you know, back in the day. I mean, yeah. Unfortunately, it surfaced in the dirt sheets too. You know about uh, yeah. some of the some of the malcontents. You know, or you know the unhappiness with Paul and the payoffs or or lack thereof. 
question, could, could ECW, that product, could it survive today? No. Okay. And did, not give me your in today's, you know, not in today's politically correct culture and cancel culture and all that. Nowadays, and here's the one thing I never understood, is you can have primetime shows like CSI and stuff showing in grisly date detail how murders and rapes are committed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if wrestling just pushes the envelope a little bit, it's, oh, my God, that's gone too far. It's like, but on the other hand, you'll say, yeah, wrestling's all fake. But if we push the envelope too far, oh, my God, it's an uproar. But look what you got on primetime television every night of the week. Do you feel like and there's a, yeah. stations now, you know? Yeah. So is it, is, is it, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, do you feel like wrestling maybe gets a, a an unfair, bad rap? Like there's a, a stigma about wrestling that it's just never going to be able to get pass or get out of its own way and maybe that's one of the reasons why it's held to a different standard i don't know why it's always been held to a different standard when everyone el everyone openly says yeah it's all fake it's just entertainment mm -hmm. but why does it get held to a different standard than hollywood then yeah. with all the grisly stuff in movies or even like i said even primetime television it, it, I, i've never understood that wrestling it's always been under the microscope and and sorry to say, <clears throat> excuse me, so many wrestling stories over the years have focused on scandals, whether it's been Vince McMahon or Chris Benoit or whatever the case may be. So wrestling has always had this spotlight at the wrong time. Well, negative sells though. Well, anything that's, that's negative it. is going to sell. If it bleeds, Everyone, it leads. That's that's why. I never understood why the sheets and the internet sites and everything, they're all negative, 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 but everybody loves dirty laundry. Yeah. But that, like I said earlier, that's why we should, that should never get out that no one should hear the dirty laundry because it doesn't help the business. Yeah. It doesn't help the business at all. But I mean, sad to say, and I, you know, I, you probably agree with this. I think the train left the station because you know, you can't you, you can't put the uh, whatever the, the expression is back in the bottle. Can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. There it is. But what do you do at this point then, Jerry? I mean, outside of doing the best you can to suspend that disbelief for the couple of hours, is there anything else you can do to counteract what's out there now? Well, it's the boys themselves. You know, they can do it. Just close the curtain again. I know everyone knows... It's entertainment, it's showbiz, whatever, but still, why do they need to know all the dirt? Why do they need to know all of the drama and the dirty laundry? They don't need to know that. Just like yeah. social media and people want to post, well, here's a picture of what I'm eating right now, or here's what I'm doing. I am so tempted to go on there and take a picture of me on the toilet taking a dump and go, yeah, taking a nice dump right now. It's like, do you really need to know what I'm doing every <laughs> second of the day? Yeah. No. Yeah. I don't yeah. get it. Are you starving that much for attention? I don't get, I understand. Just go out, have your, you know, 15 minutes in front of the crowd and get back through the curtain and get back to your personal life. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So when you started this, I mean, you've been all over the world, you know, Lucha Libre, Ring of Honor, uh, Michinoku Pro, you know, mentioned that, you know, the North American, uh, North American promotions. Did you ever imagine like when you started that, you know, 24 years in the business as a performer and now being, you know, part of an agent coach, you know, with AEW, 
Did you ever imagine that you would get to this point in your life and it would have taken you all over the world to do all of these different things? No, no, you couldn't have told me I signed my name a hundred thousand times or nothing like that. No, not my wildest dreams. I always like, I would set reasonable goals when I first started. I didn't start in the business going, yeah, I'm gonna main event mania one day. I just set smaller, realistic, attainable goals uh, along the way and didn't try and, you know, make it a goal that was impossible to achieve right off the get-go. Because yeah. you never know where it's going to take you. I mean, look at The Rock. Who would have known he'd be one of Hollywood's top stars? You sure. never know. I mean, I can't tell you how many guys I've known before they got to WWE and they're there now. And that I wrestled years ago, AJ Styles. Loved wrestling him. Had a great feud with him in TNA. You know, I wrestled uh, Seth Rollins. Loved wrestling him. And even before Ring of Wrestling Him and Ring of Honor, we had matches in Chicago on AAW and stuff. So you never know where the business is going to take you. People always say, Wow, did you did you ever think that they were going to go on to be this big a start? No, you never know. I, I can't say what if, or you, you can't estimate anything like that. You never know where it's going to take anybody. And in this business, we, we take for granted how dangerous it is. Anytime you step in that ring, you take a chance of getting hurt. Yeah. You know, I get, I'm going to fast forward to your, uh, to me, one of the great moments was your retirement match uh, promoted by Heavy on Wrestling. And we're going to talk about that in a second, but I have that to, word heavy again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I have to backtrack. Oh, I love it. Bravo. Bravo. Sorry. Sit down. You're still on your stomach. All right. All right. Hold on. Okay. There you go. I want to backtrack to what we were talking about the Mr. JL character because, Jerry, you will remember this, and if we don't tell this story to the oh. people, you know, you, you probably had to be there to appreciate it. But our good friend Stan Kowalski, Stan Crusher Kowalski, one of the great heels in AWA history, towards the end of Stan's uh, career, he was promoting shows in and around the state of Minnesota, and Stan ran a show. I want to say it was in St. Paul, some place. Yes. I don't know. Was it the depot, the place with the volleyball court in the middle? Yes. Yes, that's that's absolutely right. Well, Jerry is booked on this show, but Jerry is going to be wrestling as Mr. JL. Am I correct? Yes. You were actually, they were going to bring Mr. JL in for this show. <laughs> well, I'm cutting an opening promo with Stan. God bless him. And he's going over the lineup for the card. And he says at one point, and of course, we're going to have one of the greatest names, a mass guy. This guy can fly all over the ring, all over the arena. We got Mr. JL coming into town. And everybody pops. Well, afterward, apparently there was some switch. And, and then you were going to wrestle as Jerry Lynn and not Mr. JL which I told Stan, Stan goes back out and he says to the crowd, takes the microphone, I, I'm sorry, I was mistaken. Apparently, Mr. JL is not here tonight, but Jerry Lynn is going to be here. <laughs> He's got the same initials, but it's Jerry Lynn, oh, not Mr. JL. <laughs> what a, God bless oh. Stan Kowalski. Oh, I know. It's just another one of those. 
and I've had many shake my head moments in the wrestling business. <laughs> and I used to run around in WCW and yell Viva Mexico to try and throw people off. Was... Yeah. Before we talk about the retirement, my mind is going all over the place now. Were you at the part of the show? I think this was at the Mirage on 26th and 26th in Minneapolis, and Sean was working against Billy Blaze. And the finish of the match, Sean was going to roll Billy Blaze up with a yank of the tights and, and score the three count. But for some reason, Sean decided he was going to play this for everything it's worth. So he's got Billy Blaze, ass over tea kettle. He's got the guy's tights pulled, not crap at all. And there, Billy Blaze's junk is hanging out. All the, the, the boys are holding there and whatever else. And Sean would not get off him for oh. probably 30 seconds. And there's a TV camera there. I don't know if that oh. ever in the air. But poor Billy Blaze, you know, I'm thinking about it. He's got his nuts hanging out for a half a minute against John Waldman. He's got his toupee ripped off by the hater. And the guy hung around for years after that. I don't get it. He might owe Sean a thank you. He may have gotten him a date that night. Who knows? <laughs> no, there was back then, there was a lot of ribbing going on in the ring that the fans didn't even know about. Oh, but, uh, even Sean and I, one of our wild brawls in Ropers, the bloody one, I think, and I was wearing the short trunks, and he's on the floor, and I went to go get him, and he grabbed my trunks and to pull me into the post. Well, he pulled my trunk so far open, he showed my fruit cup to everybody in that bar. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a lot of ribbing back then. <laughs> and, and then, of course, there's you were working a match, I believe, at the Rodeo in Cottage Grove, Minnesota. I forget who you were working. And right in the middle of the match, didn't didn't Eddie Sharkey, didn't, was it you you carried? Did you give Eddie a brandy? Yes, I brought, him a shot. I brought him a shot. Because it was... It was such a brutally bad match, and I could tell Eddie looked miserable. <laughs> so, and there's a little pause in the match, like a double downer. I don't know what was going on, but I, I had to go give Eddie a shot and break the the uh, uncomfortableness. Oh God! But at oh. least it got the crowd to pop. <laughs> the fans today just don't know what they missed. All right. Oh, oh my God. Forward to your retirement match because I, I got to tell you, Jerry. I mean, the atmosphere in that building, and of course, Dave Sabig from Heavy on Wrestling up in Duluth uh, promoted this show, and I believe this was at the convention center in Minneapolis. Yeah, a tremendous crowd. I mean, you know, I think there was close to a thousand people there. Yeah, uh, I think know. they had it seated for over 900, and then they had standing room only. So. Yeah, yeah, and for an independent show at the time. Locally, that was unheard of, but everybody was on that card. I want you to talk about the atmosphere a little bit. So much was going on that night. There's a shot of it. This was when everybody got into the ring. It was my honor to be there as well. But Al Snow is there, and we and and, and Luke Hawks, and of course Sean Waldman and Adam Pierce. Everybody is there. What did it feel like when, when you knew, you know, at least for the most part, you were going to be hanging up the tights as an active wrestler? Actually, it was kind of a relief, <laughs> to wow. tell you the truth. Wow. I was pretty beat up, and I knew. That's why it was in June, 
the June prior, because this was this the last match was on March 23rd. So it was the prior June. I was in New Jersey wrestling Dan Moff for Pro Wrestling Pro Wrestling Syndicate, and in the match, I gave him the cannonball off the apron, and he's hit his head on the floor and got concussed, and I didn't know, and he didn't say nothing. He probably didn't know, and things were getting a little weird in the match, and I was wondering what was going on, and I had given him a DDT, and because he was concussed, he took it bad. And I knew something was wrong. I had to pretty much pull him on top of me to pin me. And I told the ref afterwards, I said, go check on him. I guess he'd roll in right out the ring. And he came, the ref came back and he said, I said, is he okay? He says, no, he can't feel his legs. Oh, boy. And so that's when the light bulb went off. And I thought, I'm pushing my luck here. So that's when, while they were tending to him, I ate up some time and I grabbed the mic and I said, this is my last year wrestling. And because I knew it was coming, but it, that's one of the hardest decisions to make was when are you going to call it quits? Mm-hmm. And so I thought, yeah, I'll just have, you know, a couple matches a month. Because at that time I'd been re- working a regular job also because uh, I think it was in 2010 I had my first back surgery. I had a ruptured disc and that pretty much ended my full time career. So. I knew I was pushing my luck, and that's when the light bulb went off, and I said, all right, got to put this to an end. But then once I announced it, the phone started ringing off the hook. Every, I forgot. I never mm-hmm. killed anyone with my fee because I always believed in repeat business instead of trying to nail them for one big payday, and that's it. So I forgot how many regulars I used to have on the indies. And so the phone was ringing off the hook. I was having two and three matches a weekend, and it was killing me. And I'd have, I'll never forget, I had one promoter go, I go, what am I doing? He says, well, you're going to go 28 minutes with my best guy. And I'm thinking to myself first, why 28 minutes? And then I told him, I said, listen, I said, I can't do that anymore. I said, I'm retiring because my body's done. It's shot. My bump card was way beyond full. And so I'd tell him, put me in a three or a four way. So I, you know, just do a few things and get out of there still singing and dancing. But, uh, and then I still didn't know where the last match was going to be or who with. I was like, and I was thinking at the time, since a lot of the bigger indie shows were out east, I'd do it somewhere out east. Well, then uh, my friend Kathy Carlson called sure. up and she said, and this was near, probably near the end of the year. And my dates kept getting pushed back farther because someone would say, yeah, our big show is in January. Can you do it in January? And and I go, all right. And then another one. Well, our big show is in February. Can you push it back one more month? And then finally, Kathy said, well, where do you want, where you, where's your last match going to be? I said, I don't know. I was thinking out east. She says, why don't you do it here in Minneapolis? That's where it all started. And she said, Heavy D wants to promote the show. And, at, and so I thought about it. And I thought, yeah, you're right. I should end it where it all started. And so I talked to Dave and. And he said he wanted to promote it at the Minneapolis, uh, the convention center, which is the old site of the Minneapolis Auditorium. Yes. Or was it there? Yeah. Exactly. And I thought, well, how nostalgic. That's great. I started, you know, with the AWA, end it where the AWA used to run. And then now the hard part was, who's the last match going to be with? And I, you know, and I thought, well, Sean should be part of it. And then I thought, well, 
why not have it with some guys I had feuds with early in my career that are still wrestling? So it ended up being with J.B. Trask, Force of Psychopath, and Sean. And I thought, let's just have a four-way, have it, you know, be silly, have a street fight, have chairs, ladders, tables. Let's have fun on the way out. And that's how it all happened. It, it certainly wound up not being a very fun night for Sean. Uh, oh, no. Yeah. Called, you know, for, you got to explain to the people who might not know what happened to him. Well, he, you know, he's famous for his Bronco Buster. Well, he was doing one. Was it on me or was it on? Uh, I think was that he was going to do it to me and I moved. Yeah. I can't remember who. Yeah, I think I that moved. Was, yep. And he overshot the buckle and hit the steel, the steel and ripped his butthole open. He did. Which I heard he, he told me later on he did, it had happened two years prior, something like that, or a year and a half prior in Mexico or something. Oh, good. So Lord. it wasn't the first time. So it was like, is, but uh, so I didn't know. He finished the match and everything, went to the after party, and he's wearing these, this nice jogging outfit. And he puts his hand behind his butt and pulls his hand out, and he's got blood on his fingers. And he tells me what happened. I said, You better get to the hospital. So they had to perform, I think that night, emergency surgery on him. Amazing. But wow. That was, yeah. see, yeah, that's that, another instance of how we, we take for granted how dangerous this is. Exactly. And something he'd done 5,000 times. Yeah. Well, it was a memorable night. And, and uh, you know, Scotty Zappa and I were, were doing the play by play that night. And I don't know how many matches I've called over the years, you know, several thousand for sure. But that, that really just to be a part of that event and, you know, and thinking back to where it all started and how we all, you know, had evolved and here we are, you know, 25 years later, whatever it was, uh, just a great, great evening. And to be a part of that tribute to you in the ring and to hear Sean at the end of the match, take the microphone and talk about you as an individual uh, and, and some of the things everybody was saying that night, Adam Pierce, glowing comments about you, your legacy in the business, my friend. I mean, you you've you made some friends along the way and in above and beyond the friendships. Chris, you and I have talked about this, the respect, the universal respect that we hear not only from Jerry's peers, mm -hmm. but from the fans. And especially when we said we're going to have Jerry Lynn on the show. I mean, people popped. Oh, yeah, it, it, it was. And, I mean, you you know, three-plus decades in the business. And like Mick said, I mean, everything that we've heard is just overwhelmingly positive from fans. And, I mean, I'm still an outsider. This is great that you and Mick have this relationship that tell these stories that a lot of people might not get. Um, I mean, now that you're in the position that you're in as a coach, as a mentor – I mean, what's it like for you to have some of the people on the AEW roster come to you for advice? Because I look at their roster and everybody that I see, and I got to admit, I mean, I go up and down that roster, and there's just there's a ton of really talented individuals that are right now are working for AEW. But I mean, what is it if you come to you? For? Well, for me, you know, besides the paycheck, of course, but I'm, I'm so glad I still have a job in the business. 
that's one thing I I always realized. Well, that's one thing my mom instilled in me is treat everyone else like you would want them to treat you. It's that simple. And, you know, and, and you always hear in any business, you see the same people climbing up that ladder as you do coming back down. So I always believed in just, and you, I always thought you never can have enough friends. Why have enemies? So I tried to never give anyone a reason to have heat with me. So, and, and luckily because of that philosophy, that's why I'm at AEW now. So, and I'm so thankful because I was in a warehouse for nine years. <laughs> so, and every day I'd be on that cherry picker driving around going, I had bigger plans for my life and I took a wrong turn somewhere. But, uh, you know, but, uh, Jerry, you, you made reference to, you know, how the business has changed and so on and so forth. And, and Chris just uh, alluded to being a coach with the young guys and, and so on and so forth. I've heard a lot of the veterans when they when they show up at an independent show, maybe they've made a big name in the business and they'll sit and they'll try to talk to the young guys and, and they can tell that they're not even listening to them. You know, the, their eyes are going off someplace else. And it's like, what does this guy know? Are the guys engaged with you? And, and you know, what's the relationship that you have, especially with the younger guys? Some are and some aren't. The funny thing is, there are so many younger guys in AEW that I wrestled on the indies. So it's like watching my kids on the road grow up. It's crazy. Like, I, I've wrestled best friends, both of them. I've wrestled, God, I'm trying to think who all. Maybe not so many as I thought, but there are some. <laughs> and, you know, like I said, there's some that will listen and there's some that won't. And I was actually talking with someone who just came on board of a few months back. I can't. I'm not going to say who, but uh, I was telling him some stuff about, you know, some are hard headed and don't want to listen. He says, you know what? He says, they're so young. They probably don't know what you've done in your career. And I said, you're right. Absolutely. You know, there's a whole nother couple generations of wrestlers that they have no idea what I've done. I even when I was still wrestling near the end, I was at a show in East Tennessee and uh, just small indie show, probably in front of 50 people. And this guy in the locker room comes up and goes, so what's your gimmick? I said, um, I really have a gimmick. I go out and wrestle. He goes, no, really, what's your gimmick? I go, I wrestle. <laughs> so, oh, my God. My what match, a concept. I, yeah. I, I know, back, right? And someone must have said something to him because he comes up after my match and goes, I'm sorry, I didn't know who you were. I said, I don't care. That's fine. I said, but I told you, I just go and I wrestle. <laughs> but. You know, so I understand there's a whole generation of wrestlers who don't have no idea what I've done. Well, and, and then, too, Jerry, you know, the, the point that you made on our last show about so many of the guys that, you know, it's a cash grab camp that they come through. You know, you know, maybe three months out, all of a sudden they're being told that you're going to be the greatest superstar in the world and stay by your phone because Vince McMahon or Tony Khan are going to be calling you or what have you. So they don't get it. They haven't paid the dues. They haven't gone through the type of training camp and, you know, it, the hard knocks that you did. They don't get it. Well, and you can tell the ones who, you know, everyone says, oh, I love wrestling. You can tell who really loves wrestling and who doesn't. And, or, you know, and I, I never realized it until I met Jake the Snake and it was an independent promotion in Pittsburgh called International Wrestling Cartel. 
you know, he and I are both were on the show for quite a few months in a row. And so I, that's where I really got to know Jake and learned so much from him. And I was telling him at the time I was having a problem getting all my money. I'd be a little bit short, not a lot. And he'd say, I'll get you next time. And he would, but then a little bit short still. And, and, but you know, he ended up, he, get, he don't owe me any money or anything. I'm not trying to bury the promoter. It's just at the time, what was, you know, what was, what we were going through. And, and Jake says, well, why do you keep showing up? And I said, I don't know. He goes, because you have a passion for this. And that's when I, I just went, oh, you're right. But I can wow. tell nowadays the guys who actually love the business and have a passion for it are the ones who will. I mean, there's so many younger guys. They don't know who Teneru is. They don't know who Stan Hansen is. They don't know the matches Stan Hansen had with Jumbo Saruta. They don't know who Giant Baba is. They don't know who uh, I, I could name off all kinds of older American wrestlers. They wouldn't know who they are. But if you have a passion for something, you're going to learn the history, you know? Yeah. And so you can tell who really genuinely loves it or who is in it just for the attention. Wow. Um, I, you know, I, I never wrestled, but, you know, I've been doing this for 35 years, you know, and I could count on one hand the number of reasonable, really decent paydays that I've got. But when you mention the word passion, when you really love the business and love what you're doing and want to get it over and across as at least spending that disbelief, you know, for that couple, three hours and taking pride in your craft. And you, you said the word passion, nothing explains it better than that. And well, me, and then I'll ahead. tell you this too, because Sean and I years ago, like we, we drove all the way to the upper peninsula of Michigan to work for Mike Shaw for a hundred bucks to turn around and drive right back in time to go to work. No sleep, you know, it's same with up in the in North, middle of North Dakota for Eddie, you know, drive eight, 10, 12 hours to turn around and drive right back for a hundred bucks, you know, and then those days at Ropers, we didn't get paid much. They, Eddie didn't get much of a guarantee there, right. but we did it for the, the publicity, you know, and even after doing, Memphis and global, you know, you'd pack, I packed up whatever four boxes of belongings in the car and hit the road and move. And at that time too, whenever I'd come back to Minneapolis, I'd hear guys going, why, why ain't I getting anywhere? Well, the phone ain't going to ring. You got to pack up and leave and go get it. And that's the difference. I mean, you got to sacrifice. If you really want it that bad, if you have a passion for it, you will go get it. You've got to. Is, is there like a, nowadays, yeah. they even have more. Go ahead. Is, uh, is there a misconception, Jerry, because that used to be like the territories you hear about, you know, you have all these different territories, but now it's just like, you know, maybe three major promotions. Do they feel like maybe they, they don't, or do you get the perception that because there aren't any territories, they don't have to travel and you just wait for the call to one of these big promotions? Well, what I, I always was taught, too, if you are not booked on a show and you have the night off, show up with your gear. Oh, God. You never know. And I've heard of people talking about other guys that they won't even drive two, three hours. Oh, that's too far. Oh. What? Are you kidding? You know, always show up with your gear. If, you don't have, if you're not working that night, show up on another one with your gear. Help set up the ring. Help tear down the ring. 
do whatever it takes. I mean, even on my retirement tour, there was one show out in Connecticut. The ring truck got there late. Well, I started helping unload the truck and helping bring stuff and helping set up the ring, setting up chairs. There were other guys sitting around I'd never seen before or heard of sitting, thinking they were too good to help. Well, I'm here to make some money. Let's get the yeah. ring set up so we all can make some money. But, you know, that's just that's you can tell who really has a passion for it and wants it and who, you know. But that, you know, and those are the ones probably won't get anywhere either. I, I know we're, we're, you know, just a couple of minutes from wrapping this up, but I, I'm going to I'm going to say something here. And this is going to be a shoot. You and I have gone back and forth over the years, uh, you know, ribbing each other. And, you know, even now when we uh, when we chat, <laughs> message, we're calling each other the old names for Roberts and Fridley and Jabroni and, you know, whatever the case may be. I think this podcast exemplifies and i said this at the end of last week's show why am i am a jerry lynn mark not just because you're a friend of mine oh look at those two old buzzards there uh, old. Not, not just because you're a friend of mine jerry but it's because you're a professional you're a professional who has understood from day one what the business is all about you understand it today you're passing that knowledge on to the young guys who are in a completely different era, who have, you know, maybe no idea, you know, the psychology of a match or whatever. And on top of all that, and again, this is going to sound like I'm stroking you. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, even there, look at what you've given to the business. You're staring right into Terry Powers' chest. I, I, <laughs> Talk about a guy who's made ultimate sacrifices. Maybe that's what he's given to the business. Oh, my God. You know, if, if nothing else, ladies and gentlemen, there you see it. There it's exemplified just how much blood, sweat, and tears Jerry Lynn has put into this business. But Well, well let me – I got to just – I want to tell everyone this. Yeah. Because it just frustrates me when people want to talk and people say, Oh, it's because he's your boss. No, Tony Khan. And I've said this to Tony. I said, what's sad is you have more passion for this business than most of the wrestlers. He says, I have more passion than all the wrestlers. And he's right. He remembers dates, uh, whole entire cards who wrestled, who, what to finish. I mean, he is an encyclopedia of wrestling and I have never seen anyone in my career who has more of a passion for it than Tony. And so it drives me nuts when people want to sit there and give them digs and stuff, you know? Thank you. And Thank what, else, what, what what's what's the harm he's done? All, you know how many hundreds of employees he has? Not even just the wrestlers, people behind the scenes in production, the office, uh, that have families, you know, wives and children that are doing this for a living. And people want to cut him down? Yeah, I'm God just like, forbid. what is wrong with you people? God forbid somebody should actually give a shit about the business. Yeah. No, I know. And then, you know, and even when there were guys in WWE wanting to take jabs, I'm thinking, and guys I know, I, I had to bite my tongue. I wanted to call them up and say, is that how you really feel? Do you really wish that we are all out of jobs Yeah. when we have wives and children to take care of? Do you, do you really feel that way? That's what really frustrates me is the boys in the business do more damage to the business themselves. And I don't mean to end off on that. I will tell you one of my favorite stories I tell in oh, some Sure. It was an indie show in southern Minnesota. I think it was at a 
elementary school gymnasium. And I can't remember who I rode with, but we were the I, we were the first ones there. The only thing that was there was the ring truck. And standing out by the door was these three little boys. And so we park, we get out of the car, grab our bags out of the trunk, and these little boys come over and they're going, are you guys wrestlers? And I go, yeah. They go, uh, you going to win tonight? I go, I don't know. I'm going to give it my best shot. They go, oh, come on. You know if you're going to win or not. I said, I'll tell you what. And, then, and of course, they said, come on, wrestling's fake. You know if you're going to win or not. I said, I'll tell you what. I want you to watch my match tonight. And judging by my match alone, I want you to find me after the show and tell me if you think wrestling is real or not. And so at the end of the night, we're walking out the door. We get to the car, and they, those three boys come up. And I go, well, I go, what'd you think? And they said, you showed us wrestling's real. And that was the greatest compliment I could have ever gotten. I still get goosebumps thinking about it. And I thought I did my job tonight. Yeah, man. I, 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 think I, that's- I mean, I, I'm just, uh, this, this interview has been everything that I thought it would be. I, I'm sure you agree, Chris. Yeah, it, it was it was absolutely everything that I thought it was going to be, and, and more, frankly, because I think we hit on a lot of the points that maybe people are thinking about. But again, to get it from somebody like Jerry Lynn, it holds a lot more weight and the openness and the honestness and no bullshit. Like it was just right there, straight facts. And, and I think that's, I think that's good. I, I think it's good to have one of these conversations like this, Mick and, and Jerry, I think what you two have gone back and forth and the relationship that you two have, it's this has been absolutely a fantastic last couple of weeks. And it's I what you call it's, it's what you call a budding bromance. <laughs> wow, I'm gonna put myself out of territory. <laughs> no, I just hope you know. I, I'm very, as you can tell, I'm very passionate about the business. So I don't want to come off as some old grizzled miserable veteran, which I'm not. I'm thrilled. I love wrestling, and I love what you know what we do and uh and i understand like i said the business changes Mm -hmm. and here's another thing that people don't realize every fan likes wrestling for a different reason so some like the scientific wrestling some like a good old-fashioned good guy bad guy fight some like the comedy gaga some like the the incredible high-flying spot fests whatever you want to call them Mm -hmm. And if we want to build a large fan base, we have to give them a variety. We have to be a three-ring circus if you want to build a large fan base. And I think that's what we're doing, and I, I love it. Amen. Jerry, I can't thank you enough, not only for this interview, uh, for the entertainment that you've provided over the years, your passion for the business, but you never forgot where you came from. And you know, you and I can go months without, you know, interacting. And then all of a sudden, boom, pick up right where it left off. And it's an honor to call you a friend. And I oh. wish you nothing but success. You're continuing to give to the business with AEW uh, onward and upward, my friend. Well, thank you, Mick. Same to you. Even when I was new in the business, you always made me sound like I was looking sound like a big deal. And that's that's a that's a not an easy job. But thank you. <laughs> I appreciate you, buddy. All right. We're going to take uh, Jerry out right there, and uh, we'll get back to him when we're done recording. 
Mick, I thought this was great, man. Um, yeah, we, we wanted to have one thing we, we want with the show, with the guest, and, you know, we get suggestions all the time. One thing we don't want is somebody to, to kayfabe us, right? We don't want somebody yes. to bullshit us. We don't want somebody to, to kind of get one over on us. And in today's day and age where we know what wrestling is, I think you gotta you gotta be very careful with the people that you choose to have part of your brand. And we're kind of riding a fine line where we are an old school podcast. We, we do talk about the AW and Jerry's a part of that. Yeah. But at the same time, again, it, it goes back to what we said last week. Just the perception and the attitude about the business. It's changed. And he acknowledges that. And you could tell, like, there's some of it that he wishes would change, but that doesn't mean that you have to hate on what it is in order to maybe want it to be better. Both of those can be simultaneously true. If you listen to this last two weeks with Jerry Lynn, knowing what this man has accomplished in his career and really appreciating everything he has done. Yes. You know, you, you hear the, the, the expression, seen it all, done it all. He has. Literally. Literally. And he's still contributing in a positive way to the business. So if you don't appreciate Jerry Lynn after this interview this past two weeks, you just don't get it. Pure and simple. Yeah, um, you're, you're not a, you're not a fan of the business and you're yeah. not a fan. You're not. Not a fan of wanting good. Business. We're, we're ultimately at the end of the day, Mick, we're all fans. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, let's go ahead and uh, and wrap it up here. Uh, as they say in the business, I think they say take it home. Right. That's what I saw on Google. Is that what it means? Yeah, close take the, it home. Close. The look, look at look at me putting over the price. See, is that another term? Uh huh. Close the grill. Man, I'm a smart mark. Um, okay, now let's uh, let's wrap it up here. Want to thank Soda Stick. Obviously, they're a huge part of what we do. You guys, we're getting into uh, we're getting into hoodie season. We've got our hoodies, the black and the white, with the name on it. Just go to SodaStickCO.com, and you can see the logo up there in the upper right hand corner. Go ahead and uh, punch in Unleash for 15% off. Perfect time to, to get your hoodies. If you want the T-shirt, we've got the white T-shirt. Uh, we've also got other things coming down as well. Uh, so be looking out for that. Tell uh, as well, 7th Avenue Pizza, you guys, it is the best frozen pizza on the market, bar none. Good stuff. Got, yeah, it's got fresh ingredients. The thing is, it's frozen and it doesn't taste like it's frozen. You can have it on the grill. You can have it in the oven. You can have it on the pizza pizzazz. You can pretty much make it any way that you want. Uh, the uh, uh, meatball and pepperoni is absolutely uh, one of my favorites, the Lucky 7 as well. Uh, you can see, be sure to subscribe to YouTube where, where you know, that's where most of this stuff is going to be. I mean, people love to, especially with the, the pictures. Uh, YouTube, hit subscribe, rate, review. That's the way to help us grow you guys. Hit the subscribe button. I cannot say that enough. That is the number one way to help us grow is hitting the subscribe. But if you want to check us out on other platforms as well, we're on Google, uh, Apple, uh, Spotify, Pandora, you name it. 
Uh, let's get to our uh, shout outs here, Mick. And then one more time, tell us what we've got coming up on uh, the 29th of October. So let's get to our shout outs first. All right. The shout outs. I got a dual shout out this week to a couple of guys from opposite ends of the country that go back and forth on the Slick Mick page. Both of them think that they know what's going on in the wrestling business. Neither one of them has a clue, but I tolerate them because they, you know, they visit the page. I'm talking about Jason Biaggi and Mario Salas. Those two clowns are as loyal to what we do and to our Facebook pages as anybody. So, Hello to you, too, and, uh, you know, try to stay above the law for one week. Uh, one week. Uh, they can't release their ankle bracelet uh, no. j- just no. like uh, you can, Mick. I, I mean, I've seen you do that. It's it's impressive. That's why we went to Fergus Falls. That's the only reason we were able to get out of Hedeman County. Uh, I, I also want to thank uh, Minnesota Joe, at Joe612MN on Twitter. And then uh, for the fans as well, October 29th, what we got coming up, man. We are, like, so – I mean, we're just a few weeks away from this thing. It's kind of unbelievable that it's happening this fast. October 29th, Embassy Suites, American Boulevard location in Bloomington, Minnesota. It's AWA reunion number two. All the information, it's always evolving. You can catch it on the AWA Unleashed fan page. Also, Slick Mick Old School Wrestling page. Uh, I can tell you a couple of names that are going to be there that we know. The Sodbuster Kenny J. He was the first to say, of course I'm going to be there. John Nord, Nord the Barbarian, our buddy, has committed to be there. Uh, A lot of the old AWA TV wrestlers from the 1980s. It's going to be a fun time. Referee Gary Darusha is coming out of Mothballs. Great afternoon, noon to four. Keep checking the pages for all the information. Love it. And uh, go to our AWA Unleashed fan page on Facebook. It's just uh, uh, maybe about a month or so old. Go ahead and click on that. Become a fan. And uh, we'll get you on on that because that's where a lot of our uh, conversation and who knows what else is going to be going to be dropped there. So, Mick, this is fun, man. And uh, I don't know. I know we got a couple more interviews coming up. We got a Q&A. I have no idea what we're going to be doing, but I do know that it's going to be awesome. You're damn right it is, pal. Have a good week, everybody. 